Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode, actually episode 22 of The Police and the People. How you doing, Josh? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm outstanding, man. Hey, we're both sitting here retired. Yes. <laughs> it's nice, isn't it? It is. It is. I remember all those years you uh, kept saying the water is nice. <laughs> Come and, on in. And so far, so good. <laughs> yes. I wasn't lying. All right, on today's show, we're going to uh, interview um, a man by the name of Rich Millman, and he is part of a company called Extra Duty Solutions. They reached out to us and asked if, uh, if they could be a guest and, and, um, and, and do an interview with Rich, and I looked into the company, and I said, you know what, let's do this, because it's yeah. pretty interesting. It has to do with uh, extra duty, or in this region, we call them details, right? right. The uh, yeah. When you say police officers uh, flagging traffic and such, or security details, um, they they have created a company to to be, sounds like an intermediary right. in the payment process for that. So that's going to be pretty interesting. But we also have a police question, which is, uh, which crimes do you hate having to arrest or cite people for? All right, before we do that, um, please, 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 please support us on Patreon. We are starting to get a uh, some momentum here. Um, people are starting to contribute to help us out. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash the police and the people. Again, that's patreon.com slash the police and the people. And, you know, $5 a month is is so helpful. We, uh, we use it to help pay for this platform uh, and the... The um, the uh, platforms that we use to to populate the podcast through various uh, media that helps a lot. Also the the social media, and we also want to be able to pay our engineer. So uh, and, and he needs it. He's a he's a struggling college student, right? <laughs> Starving college student, as as I uh, as it's it's usually put. Um, but before we get into any of that, uh, Josh, why don't you tell us what? Granite State Police Career Counseling, which is our law enforcement training company that pays for this podcast, um, why don't you tell everybody what we do and why we do it? Yeah, so like you mentioned, we provide training for uh, law enforcement, really um, any emergency services, and from time to time we'll have some civilians that will take part in some of our training. Uh, We have uh, competitive hosting agreements if you are a police department or corrections or a, um, a fire department that is looking to host some great training, you can reach out to us and we can put together a hosting agreement and you will get some free training as being the hosting agency. Um, and again, we have some great classes coming up in the next few months. Uh, in April, we have a courtroom testimony class that's coming up in Hampton, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Um, also in April, we have juvenile law that's coming up in Newington, New Hampshire. And then in May, we have field training officer, and that's coming up in Nashua, New Hampshire. And then we uh, are going to be running some other trainings out of state, uh, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island. Those those dates just haven't been determined yet for, it looks like, our patrol skill build and our... um, our partnership with the Veterans Administration to yes. provide yes. Uh, some training through For both them. Mass and Rhode Island. Right, right. right. Yep, we got to also get in contact with the Vermont people so That's we correct. can get it over there as well. Yep. Okay, everyone, without further ado, cue the music.
Okay, everybody, welcome back, and we are going to now move on to our first police question of the episode. And real quick, Tim, if people want to pose a question to us here at Police and the People, how can they do that? We have an email uh, set up just for that. It's questions at gs-pcc.com. Again, that's questions at gs-pcc.com. All right, great. So to move on to our question of the day, uh, which crimes do you hate having to arrest or cite people for? This is a a pretty good question, right? Because everyone thinks that cops get off on mm-hmm. arresting people, and there are some that do. Let's let's be honest. Yes, there are you some know. that do. They they like the numbers. Sure. Yeah. And there's been times I can tell you in my career where it was satisfying to arrest somebody. Yes. Because in my opinion, they were um, they were doing something. They, they were doing something wrong, but it went beyond that. They were doing something that I felt was negatively impacting other. Residents, citizens, just, uh, you know, quality of life issues, things like that. That, and also at the end of an actual investigation, where you've put in all this effort and energy and gumshoe work, going out, knocking on doors, talking to people, you know, doing the paperwork, the affidavits, the warrants, and all that, it kind of feels good to know that that it's come down to someone's being held accountable. Especially when you had a victim. Yes, Especially when there was a reporting party who you know, had suffered some kind of loss because they usually were very appreciative of the effort that you put in. Yep. But let's talk about the other example where you don't feel great when you put the cuffs on somebody. It does happen, doesn't it? All right, I guess I'll go first. Um, So the question was arrest and also citations. I guess I'll start with citations. Um, I'm a bit of uh, politically kind of a libertarian in that I just, you know, I believe that what people do with their bodies is their own business, okay? As long as they're not hurting or offending someone else, all right? Um, you know, what do they say that your rights end when someone else's start, right? Sure. So, you know, so there was a time when there was a big push. I'm not sure if you remember this, Josh, uh, in New Hampshire uh, to cite uh, juveniles for possession of tobacco products. Yes, I and that include uh, cigarettes, but also chewing tobacco and such. Now, I got to tell you a story. I grew up in the South, and uh, everybody, or every man and some women, uh, chewed tobacco or dipped uh, some sort of tobacco product, you know. So I grew up around that. Even in the military, most of the guys I worked with uh, in the dive Navy, most of them dipped Copenhagen. I was one of the few that didn't. So I don't have a problem. With, with people doing it. And so I was very reluctant to, to enforce that particular law. Um, and if I did, when I was a school resource officer, if I caught kids smoking, what I would do is I would make this deal with them. Okay, you write me an essay outlining the, the, uh, the health issues with smoking, right? And I would give them parameters. It's got to be three-page, double-spaced. You know, I tried to make it quasi-academic. And then I would, I would rip the ticket up. So uh, probably about half of them did it, the other half didn't. Um, so that's kind of one example on, on the lighter end of the scale uh, when it comes to enforcement action. How about you? Well, just let me ask you, why is it that you had such a problem with citing people for it? I mean, because it, it is a health issue, right? Yeah, but it's their personal health. Okay. 
I just, it's their decision. It's their bodies. That's kind of the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. You know, I wouldn't want anyone holding me accountable for a decision that I made. Um, when, when it's, when it only impacts you, when it only impacts me. Right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to maybe take it a, a step further. Um, what always would drive me crazy is when I had to arrest somebody that I felt had been provoked, for a lack of a better right. term. Yep. Um, just again, to give a, a hypothetical example, you know, you have the neighbor that is just driving you crazy, plays music loud, um, you know, drive, drives their car too fast down the street, um, doesn't take care of their property, you know, just that neighbor that is driving you nuts. And, you know, we all know that, that uh, you know, that phrase, Good fence, you know. Good fences make good neighbors. Exactly. Or tall yeah. fences make good neighbors. Yeah. Whatever. But you know that neighbor that you just can't stand. And how many neighbor disputes did you go to in your career? Hundreds. Right. And yeah. it's it's they're they're all the same, but they're all different. Exactly. It, it, there's yeah. a, there's a common theme in that one neighbor is not very courteous, is you know not very conscientious, does things that maybe your I wouldn't do. Right. And Anytime somebody tries to, um, in a tactful way or in a constructive way, discuss it with them, they, the the neighbor that's the jerk tends to go on the offensive, right? Mm-hmm. It's my, you know, it's my yard. I can do what I want, so on. Sometimes being a, kind of a libertarian, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, saying this is my little my little section. Leave me alone. Yeah, um, and you have to respect that when their actions start to impact everybody else in the neighborhood, that's, that's when different. the police get involved. Yep. Um, and it would always start off with that, uh, you know, the law-abiding citizen, the, the gainfully employed individual tries to speak with the neighbor that's a jerk, and it starts off, you know, all well and good, and they're just trying to tell them, hey, try to be a little more courteous, right. and then it ends up being mayhem. Yep. And the police get called, and so often, the I always say the wrong people get arrested, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you just reminded me of, um, there was this particular family in the jurisdiction I worked in that everywhere they moved, there were there were conflicts with yeah. neighbors. It, it didn't matter yeah. where they moved to. They've got the dogs that they, don't, that they don't chain up, and the dogs run you wild, or the yeah. dogs snap at people. You and, name it. And, yeah, and, and they're just jerks. Right, exactly, They and the whole family. And they were, they were, they were the, the mom and dad were pretty heavy drug addicts as well, and the kids just were, were just destined for the same, the same results. But um, eventually they actually moved into a property that was kind of isolated, and believe it or not, no more, no more disputes. Right. You know, right. So because they just nice. were bad neighbors, and that they're just horrible neighbors. Yeah, yeah. and that's just an example um, when you you know you, you have somebody that's provoked. Happens a lot with like road rage incidents. Yeah, there you know there's one motorist who again is very discourteous, um, cuts somebody off, plays music loud, is you know not paying attention to how they're driving, and then that generally law-abiding citizen has just had enough and confronts them and it goes sideways. And we can say to people all we want, don't take the law into your own hands. Right. Uh, you know, just let it go. Don't get yourself riled up. And those are, that's good advice, right? We all try to practice that. But we also know that people are human yeah. and, they, and they lose their temper. And that those were always the tough arrests is when you had to arrest somebody 
because yes, they had broken the law and sometimes they had done something, especially if it resulted in an assault, something like that, that was serious. Um, you had to make the arrest, but you'd be saying, this isn't a bad person. Right. They just got pushed to their limit yep. by this other person who's a jerk. Yeah. And I wish I could arrest them. Right. But they didn't, they didn't do anything that by the letter of the law exactly. was it. You know, was a violation. Right. So those right. are always the tough ones. I can also uh, think of another scenario, um, and this is kind of an issue in every state, but people who just don't have a lot of money um, can run into some problems. And, and I'm going to give you an example. So in New Hampshire, we have inspection requirements. Your car has to have an annual inspection. There's a cost to that. And there's even more of a cost if there's things that have to be repaired on your car. So sometimes people, they can't afford to have the repairs done. So now they're driving around with an uninspected vehicle. So they get pulled over by a police officer and maybe get a ticket. All right. So now they have, now you can see how it's starting to compound. Yeah, it compounds itself. Yeah. Yeah. So now they have a ticket that they can't really pay for and they don't. They don't pay for it. Maybe they go to to trial to try to have something happen and maybe it does, you know, that they're able to deal with that, but they still can't get their, they, they can't afford to get their car fixed. So then they get another ticket for uninspected. And eventually they're going to have to pay that ticket and they can't. So then what happens? They don't pay a ticket, they default. Now you pull them over for the same offense because they got the same uninspected vehicle and now their license is suspended. Yep. Right? Or and there's now, a warrant for them because you, as you mentioned, they defaulted. They didn't show up in court. Right. And, and it usually takes multiple on a traffic offense to, to actually have a warrant issued, but um, it does happen. It does and, happen. And, and now they're getting arrested. They have handcuffs put on them. And now there's, there's costs associated with that. There's costs associated with getting their license back because now it's in a suspended status. And even, though, even if they pay for this ticket, now they have to pay to get their license back, which is probably, what, $150 just to get it reinstated? Yeah, I mean, there, there's – and a lot of these folks, um, they, they don't have a stable address. Right. Right? Because, yeah. again, they're, they're just up against it financially. Maybe they're living with some friends, so right. on and so forth. Yeah. And it can become difficult – for the DMV to track them down. So in other words, mail that's supposed to go right, right. to them gets sent to somebody else yep. and so on and so, so forth. So they may not know that their license is suspended. Mm-hmm. Yep. So now I'm not saying this for every every person out there that has a suspended license. There are some people who do deserve to have their licenses suspended, trust me. But I'm talking about the people who are just just having a hard time financially and the system works against them. So in those scenarios, um, I always tried to work with them as best I could, you know. And I think that's the um, that's the challenge is that a lot of the folks that, you know, I use that term up against it, it becomes easier for them to avoid it than to try to address it. Right. And I would always try to encourage people, you'd be amazed if you show up in court you know, you ask, you get that ticket and you ask for a trial yep. and you show up in court and you speak to the prosecutor and you explain your circumstances and don't go in telling a tale of woe. Just be very, very, because, because we hear that all the time, right? That's true. And the prosecutor yeah. gets sick of that. Yeah. The violins are always playing. Right. But if you just come in and say, these are the circumstances and this is what I'm trying to do to remedy this, you'd be amazed at how many reasonable prosecutors you'll run into that will say, 
okay, we're going to continue this matter for X amount of months. Mm -hmm. That's going to give you time to get your vehicle fixed, to get it inspected, and we're going to reschedule this for 90 days from now, six months from now. And then when you walk in six months from now and your vehicle has been repaired because you've had some time to save up the money and you've now got an inspection sticker on it because you've had time to save up some money, you'd be amazed at how many prosecutors then will say, okay, problem solved. Yeah. Because everybody now has done their, we, we've gotten to where we need to get to. Everybody's done their job, right? That's yeah. the whole purpose is yeah. to have safe vehicles and safe drivers on the road. Yeah. Um, but so many people, they, they don't trust the system. They don't trust the police and the prosecutors and so on and so forth. And so they just avoid it, avoid it, avoid it. And that until, just digs a deeper hole. What do we always say? The unpaid bill. Yeah. We are the unpaid bill. We just don't go away. Right. Yep, and it's going to hit you when you least expect yep. it. Yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, I guess if I can kind of throw out a, a, a request to the general public, you know, Tim and I, uh, when we were in our careers, didn't like making those arrests. Those are the ones you don't like making. Do your best to not be that person right? by just, you know, taking a little bit of effort, and that way there won't, you know, the next generation of cops won't have to, uh, make those arrests, maybe if yeah. if people take that at least that initial step. Yeah, yeah. You know? I have a question for you. In in your career, particularly as a patrol officer, was there any motor vehicle violation that was rare? But when you got one, it was you're kind of like, ah, I got you. Well, of thing. I, I will tell you, um, and it, it wasn't when I was a patrol officer, um, but when I was a patrol sergeant. And even towards the end of my career, um, people talking and texting was mm. was a pet peeve of mine. And that yeah. was one that I did show very little um, discretion on gotcha. uh, because it, it, it bothered me. And, you know, I have talked on a cell phone back when it was legal. Um, but what I would find is there were so many people that talking on the cell phone became everything they were doing and driving became secondary. Correct. Versus driving yes. as I your primary. See it. I see it all the time now. Right. And so that was one that when I pulled you over for a uh, either a talking or texting violation in New Hampshire, it's illegal. Yep. You have to have hands free. Yep. Um, if I pulled you over for that, you were getting a ticket. Yeah. Chances were. Um, and and it, it, it was just a pet peeve of mine. Gotcha. Um, I didn't write a lot of them because, you know, I was a supervisor at that point. But yeah. Um, when I when I pulled somebody over for that, they generally got a ticket. Gotcha. Yeah. What about you? Was there one that you were like, ah, I got you on that? Yeah, it was the fake inspection stickers. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> I yep. loved getting those, and they're not easy. You're right. In my entire people 20... are good at them. Yeah, exactly. And in my entire 20, 20 years of uh, law enforcement, I had maybe three or four. Yep. You know, and I was always really good. Every car I pulled over, I would take a peek at the sticker just to make sure it was legit from inside and out, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, every once in a while, you get one, you go, oh, there's no serial number on that. Uh, I need to take a closer look at that, right? Yep. And then sometimes you would get people that were pretty primitive, you know, yeah, with, with a crayon. Like you, know? Yeah. <laughs> you could see it when you, uh, when you drove by, you right. know, it was, that, it was that bad. So, but yeah, I always, uh, and it was kind of funny that with that one, you could write them a ticket. Or you could arrest them. Right. It was a misdemeanor. And I always just wrote them a ticket right. and, and took the sticker. Right. Yeah. But I'd write them a ticket for the fake and then write them a ticket for being uninspected, too. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, it's kind of a dick move. You were right? that guy, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right, everyone. So uh, up next, we're going to have our interview with uh, Jim Millman. Rich of, Millman. I'm sorry. Yes, Rich Millman of Extra Duty Solutions. We'll be right back. Tell me about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but uh, I'm glad that uh, winter seems to be getting later and later, so uh, we're not getting uh, bad snow as much as we used to anyway. Right. So. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, so tell us... Uh, Tell us about Extra Duty Solutions, and, and I just want to know where did the, I guess, the inspiration come from for the company? Go ahead. Yeah, sure. I, um, I have a partner in the business, and he and I worked at a huge uh, hedge fund in Connecticut, and I was um, heading up risk. He was heading up physical security, and we used to occasionally utilize Extra Duty officers for security needs here and there whether that was executive security or party or something like that. And, um, you know, one day we kind of looked at each other and said, boy, that industry, that whole extra duty industry is a bit messy. It's, it's, um, it's a, you know, there's a lot that goes on, but boy, you know, it's, it's t- if you're the chief security officer at Walmart and you want officers in 300 Walmarts on Saturday night, you have to call 300 police departments. Yeah, so that's exactly. not fun. And then, you know, when you do call police departments, a lot of times, you know, nobody answers the phone after six or the guy's not there that handles the extra duty program or you, you get a call back three days later after the security event need is, uh, has occurred. So we realized that, um, there's there's kind of a need for cleanup in the industry, if you will, and that's that was the impetus to get into it. And right. how long have you guys been around? Well, we actually started in 2015, um, and we started uh, to do something else. We actually initiated the company to help the corporations engage with law enforcement. So in my prior Walmart example, we started the company so that the chief security officer at Walmart would just call us. And then we would call the 300 police departments. And that's what we did in 2015. And we dealt with a lot of large corporations doing that. And in so doing, we realized that the pain and suffering associated with extra duty program administration is felt just as bad on the law enforcement side where you're getting inundated with phone calls and to deal with invoicing and collections and scheduling and all that kind of stuff. So in early 2016, we initiated a program for the law enforcement side, which um, was very well received. In fact, in by 2017, we had completely exited the corporate side. We don't do that work anymore because we don't want to have a conflict of interest where you know, we're administering the program for a municipality, the extra duty program, but we're also, um, you know, have a contract with Walmart in that same town. So in order to avoid the conflict of interest, we only work on the law enforcement side now. All right. All right. So I know you were, you were explaining how your company operates uh, prior to us recording, but for our listeners, can you go over that again, Rich, and just talk about how the system works and, and, and how your your company acts as a, an intermediator, um, mediary, I'm sorry, um, for the administrator? Sure. So if you think about an extra duty program, there's really four parts to it. There, the first part is engaging with uh, customers or vendors. So you have you know, the utility companies and Walmart and everybody calling the police department. What are your rates? I need two guys tomorrow. Hey, it's raining today. I'm not going to do this job today. I'm going to do it on Friday. Um, so all that engagement is kind of part one. Part two is actually scheduling the officers. Then part three is paying the officers. And then part four is invoicing and collecting to 
the customer. So those four things are the crux of kind of what we do. Um, and I'm always careful to say we administer the program, but we don't manage it. The, the police department still manages their program. They make the rates. They, they mm. make the rules. They decide right. how jobs will be divvied up. We're just working for them to, to do all this. Um, gotcha. But, you know, it, you know, people call in. Um, they call a number that we set up for the, each individual police department, and they're actually on us. And we have four operation centers in Connecticut, New Jersey, Florida, and Texas. And uh, we split the account team across at least two of those centers. So if one's down, the other's up. And then we take all the calls. We explain rates. We handle all that engagement. We, um, every officer gets a, a free app and an online portal. So if you don't have a fancy phone, you can still engage with the system and you can bid on jobs or sign up for jobs. However, the, the department wants those jobs to be divvied up. We, we adhere to their their rules. Then the officer works the detail and he checks in and checks out. So we know when he really worked, uh, cause sometimes jobs go long or short and then we pay the officer. Uh, and we pay the city admin fees or cruiser fees, whatever fees are associated with those details, um, whenever the payroll period ends. So usually that's every week or every other week. And then we invoice and we collect. So if the utility company takes four months to pay, that's our problem, not the municipality's problem. And if some landscaper uh, hired an officer and went bankrupt the next week, that's our problem too. So we alleviate all the administrative burden and the financial risk. Well, wow, that's 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 pretty nice. Now you talked about all of your locations. Um, most departments in we're in the New England area, as you are, details or extra, um, you know, road jobs as you call them, extra duty. It's it's fairly common here in New England. But when I talk with officers in other parts of the country, it's not as common. Uh, it seems to me that they're out getting their extra duty kind of on their own. Have mm-hmm. you found that as well? Yeah, extra duty is is different by region of the country. As you point out, um, in New England and the Mid-Atlantic area, it's mostly road jobs, you know, traffic control. So you have Verizon laying wires and uh, one lane of a road is um, obstructed, and so you have to have two officers and two cruisers um, there for safety reasons. We have some departments in, in that part of the country where that's all they do. They really don't do any security work. If you go down south and out west, it tends to be a lot more security-focused. Um, there are some states where there kind of are no road jobs. You know, this, there's there's no officers there, or they're, they're allowed to use flagmen or something like that. Right. Um, and then there's some areas... Um, you know, some parts of Arizona, Texas, uh, parts of um, Tennessee, where, uh, you know, we call it uh, the wild, wild west. Uh, you know, as you point out, if I'm an officer and you own a movie theater, uh, you can just come to me and say, hey, you know, Rich, why don't you come over Saturday night? We have a new premiere. There's going to be a lot of kids around. Uh, wear your uniform. I'll pay you, I don't know, 55 bucks an hour for six hours. And at the end of the night, I'll just give you a white envelope with 330 bucks in it. Um, so that still happens in some places, although that that model a lot of states and, and, and cities are getting away from because of the risk associated with yeah, it. Yeah, rightly so. Yeah. yeah, and I guess that's what I was getting at is, um, you know, obviously just from a business standpoint, you're a fan of police details because it's how you make your money. Yep. But yep. as a, as a, you know, and I'm a retired police officer, but I always say when, when people are critical of details, I always bring up if an ambulance is trying to get to your house 
and the traffic is backed up, do you want a flagger who has no communication with that ambulance, or do you want a police officer who has heard probably the ambulance over a channel on their radio yep. that knows it's en route, yep. that knows, uh, or you know, a fire truck, or that there's a police pursuit? Um, those are the things that I think people don't realize. Uh, and I can tell you, I've, I know police officers that have thwarted a kidnapping while on a detail because they heard information coming in real time and were able to kind of manipulate the traffic so that the kidnapper, the kidnapper's vehicle came their way and they were able to stop it. Um, so it, just curious, you know, I know you're more on the business side, but what is your take on details um, nationwide, so to speak? The, the yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, look, it's like anything else. There's good and bad, right? And there are, you know, there's money to be made. And anytime there's money that changes hands, um, you know, like one one person that works in the private equity world once told me money never changes hands without an argument. Um, so when, you know, money, there's money to be made, there's there's problems I can follow. And so you, I think you need, you know, to administer extra duty programs in a, in a careful way and not just have them off on the side unmanaged. But there are huge benefits to these programs. And when you really think about what the benefits, they break into three categories. One, then the most obvious probably is for the officers themselves. So, you know, let's face it, law enforcement is not exactly the highest paying career that you can go into. So the opportunity to work extra duty details to pay for child care, you know, um, whatever else you need to pay for in life that the bills are getting uh, hard to pay, it's a nice benefit for the officer, right? Second, for the actual agency, the police department or the sheriff's office, you're getting um, a way to interact with your constituency, with the public, in a non-law enforcement way, right? So the average person who's a law-abiding citizen you don't really interact with the police that much, you know. Um, but when you go to a movie theater, you go to a Best Buy, you go to the mall, you're driving down the street, there's road construction, and you see um, details being worked. It's actually a way for the public to see officers out there in, uh, in you know, quote-unquote, non-threatening way, right, not non-law enforcement way. So it's more of a face of the department. And also for the public in general, like your example of, you know, an ambulance going through a crowded area, you have more officers out there. So if something goes wrong, you have uniformed officers at the ready. Uh, and every week we have we were notified by an officer who worked a detail in one of our locales that says, I had to leave it early because I got called into active duty while I was on a, a detail because I just happened to be the closest officer to a robbery in progress. So dispatch called me off my, my detail. You know, I left the movie theater. I went over across the street where the robbery was going on, and I handled it. And had that officer not been <clears throat> working uh, the detail in that locale at the time, it would have taken eight minutes to get an officer there. So there's there's a huge public safety benefit to these details. Yeah, I agree. I have a question for you. It's more of a logistics question. So in New Hampshire, if you poll 10 different agencies on how they fill details, you're going to get 10 different methods. And a lot of that is predicated on the size of the department. 
So is that an issue that's kind of tough for you because you got Department A that uses a, a rotating list and Department B that goes strictly by seniority or something along those lines? Is that a challenge for you? Yeah, it, it, more in the beginning than it is now. I think we've kind of seen 98% of what's out there. We gotcha. could probably write a book on, you know, different ways of divvying up extra duty details. But but it, our, our infrastructure, for example, the scheduling software that we use um, – uh, has grown with us, and as a result, we probably—I'm pretty sure—we have the most sophisticated software when it comes to divvying up um, details and the way that um, it can be done to be customized to a particular department. As you point out, we have—you know—we have some departments that have four rotating lists, and the lists themselves rotate with each other in different ways depending right. on four on, four off schedule. And then you get down south and out west, and a lot of these departments where it's mostly just security and the same thing every Saturday night is just first come first serve. You know, whoever wants it, sign up for it. Um, but yeah, we we handle a multitude of, of different ways of doing that. Okay. All right. Have you ever found one that you were not able to, to fulfill? We, we found a couple where we have to do manual overrides. Um, so, you know, our infrastructure is only so powerful. And then we have the account manager reordering a list at midnight every night or something like that. We've had, oh, okay. we've had a few like that. But to be honest, the ones that are so complex, you have to have a NASA engineering degree, uh, you know, <laughs> right. or be a, a NASA engineer, understand it. Right. Most of the time we'll talk to them about, you know, why are you doing it like this? Because if you did it the simpler way, you're going to ask you that. Result, yeah. And then everybody yeah. understands it, you know? Yeah. I, have you ever suggested something to an agency and they've adopted it? Something that's a little more simple? Oh, yeah. We, we get asked a lot. Like, you know, the, uh, look, the closer you get to Boston, the more complex these things become, basically, is how it works. Oh, okay. Um, um, and I think it's just the age of policing in the, in the New England area. You know, a lot of these programs are a lot older and a lot bigger, and as a result, they're a lot more complex because they've been around for a long time. Right. But we've, we often get asked, you know, hey, here's how we do it. Do you think this is fair, or what's the best way to do it? Um, we had one uh, New England uh, department where, you know, we went in and we did the we always do training a week or two before we start just to put a face with a name and uh, we were doing the training and a couple of the officers like kind of looked at each other and said wait a minute you mean to tell me we're going to do it the same way we've been doing it that 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 way is horrible <laughs> so, so we got you know we got the officers and the command staff all in the room at the same time and sorry neither one of you guys liked the way this is done so let us recommend another way and within five minutes everybody's like yeah hallelujah do it that way at least we can understand it now you know <laughs> right right well don't don't forget you got to bring the union in too right <laughs> oh yeah, usually when we, you know, when we talk with a new agency who is potentially interested, we always try to get the police chief, the head of the union, the CFO of the town and the business administrator in the room at the same time because everybody you know, everybody has a different um, concern and we can usually knock them all off in, you know, one meeting that way. Okay. All right. Now you'd mentioned that uh, currently you have Nashua as a client. Are there any other New Hampshire agencies? Um New Hampshire. No, I think that's in New Hampshire, actually. This is right. just Nashua right now. Well, hopefully this podcast uh, will funnel people in your direction. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. do you think that that is because, you know, in, in New Hampshire, um, yeah, I guess in New England, we're very much a, if you want to call it a home rule type of region, and everybody has their own little, I've, I've heard 
uh, somebody refer to New, Ham- New Hampshire towns as little fiefdoms. Um, do you think that's why maybe your model hasn't been embraced in New Hampshire as much as maybe some other places because of that um, that attitude, so to speak? It, I, it could be. I, I haven't been kind of exposed to that, that attitude. I, I think... I think more of it is just sort of a lack of, of it's our fault. I think a, a lack of us sort of getting up there and uh, and beating the bushes. You know, mm, I, I, gotcha. I I don't remember how we how we ended up in Nashua, and I think it was a referral. And usually that's what happens. You know, now that we're in Nashua, um, then they'll talk to two towns and they'll talk to two towns and the next thing you know we're in six towns. Um, a lot of times what will happen too is this is especially true around the Boston area, well, you know, and clearly Nashville is around Boston, and around the New York area where you've got a lot of um, sizable departments, but they have small footprints, they might be like two square miles, is they start sharing jobs because they can't fulfill all their own work. Right. So, right. Yep. you know, we have one account team on second shift, which is uh, 4 p.m. to midnight, that does nothing but move jobs around um, New England and Mid-Atlantic because... You know, a particular town has a big bridge bridge project going on, and they can't hand they can't fill all the spots. Right. So we'll call the next town over that they have a memorandum of understanding with an MOU with, and and ask them if they want to take the empty spots and so on. So doing that also you know ends up getting us more clients because they become aware of what we do. All right, I, I like it. I think it's a great idea. And again, as a, as a former administrator that had to take in the calls from the contractors and you know, create a sheet. And, and we had a system where we used a rotating list and then that had to be called. And then you had to make sure that everything was up and up. And then there were other administrative duties as well. Um, it, it was certainly a pain. And I, and I could, um, if I were still a police administrator, I would embrace this program. I think it's, uh, I think it's a great idea and it's, it's uh, revolutionary. But I got one more question for you. Uh, my son... Yeah is a uh, junior at UNH, and he is an accounting and finance major. So he's he probably wants to know if uh, if your company is very close to being publicly traded. Okay. So, no, we're not, we're not publicly <laughs> traded, and I think we're a little small for that. Gotcha. All right. But it could happen at some point. Okay. It could, it could. You never know. All right. He's always looking for the inside route, you know, on some, uh, some good stock <laughs> options. That's, that's funny. Yeah, we, we've had a number of uh, departments that have come on. We're in 14 states right now, but we've had a number of departments where, you know, the, the main liaison that we're interacting with, with the department, uh, wants to know if he can invest or, you know, we've we've had people retire that then call us and say, hey, I, I'd like to represent you in the state or whatever. So I, we actually end up hiring a number of people in, in that that way. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, maybe uh, Josh and I can get. A yeah, job I know. Me. Maybe we can partner. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We're yeah. both retired. Yeah, GSPCC and Extra Duty Solutions. We can do a partnership. All right, Rich. So for all the uh, the listeners out there in New Hampshire that are police officers and who are interested in this program, how can they get the ball rolling? Yeah. So the the easiest thing is just to give us a call here at our headquarters in Connecticut, and our main number is two zero three. 
202-3991. And if you call that number, you're going to get one of our account reps who can get you to uh, myself or somebody else on the on the business side. In addition, you can always email us, and the, and the easiest email is info at extradutysolutions.com. And our website has a whole um, plethora of information on it and um, web webcasts that we've done and um, all sorts of information, including a fun quiz about how well do you know your extra duty program and what risks are, are, are hiding in it for you. And our website is extradutysolutions.com. Okay, very good. Well, Rich, it was uh, very nice having you on here. Uh, we're at about the 40-minute mark, which is kind of where we like to keep it. So um, thank you very much for coming on. We really appreciate it and wish you the, wish you the best of luck with this uh, with this this business venture. It sounds like it's moving in a positive direction and I hope it keeps uh, going that way for you. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. And uh, hopefully I'll be up in uh, New Hampshire sometime over the next uh, several months for some sales meetings. And if so, I'll definitely look you up. All right. Uh, Beers are on you. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. (laughs) All right, my friend. Take care. All right. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was not the smoothest hang-up. My apologies. <laughs> that was pretty good. I, that's a good idea. I was very skeptical going in. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I get the idea. Yeah. I, and, I, you know, I think we all, having come from the administrative side in our careers, at least for a portion of our careers, Yeah. Um, you know, trying to fill details and overtime and, uh, you know, any of those extra duties mm-hmm. becomes a nightmare for you it because really because yeah. they're not on a schedule. They happen at two in the morning, at yes. three in the morning, at yes. five in the afternoon, in the middle of the day. And they always happen right while you're in the middle of seven other things. Yes. So you're you know, you're you're on the telephone trying to talk with, you know, somebody about a grant application and all of a sudden you get an email or you get a message somehow that says a detail just came in and it needs to be filled within the next 45 minutes. And yes. you're thinking, I don't have the time to do this. Yeah. So, yeah, to be able to farm that out is is a great idea. And for them to be able to to take all of the minutiae of it and, and create a product. It, but I realize it, it creates a lot of people power. Right. And he's got these 24-hour uh, staff. So. Yep. Um, and I just want to go back. I said that, that I was, that I was uh, skeptical of it um, only because I, I was coming at it from the only angle that I knew, which was as an administrator. And, you know, I was thinking that there would have to be a release of kind of authority in this. But he said you don't release authority. They, they still have control over it. The police departments do. They just handle the background stuff. Right. And that's a beautiful system. I like it. Yeah. I'm sold. So um, you guys have it uh, for the police officers listening out there. Um, if you want to minimize your headaches uh, when it comes to filling these extra details, um, give Rich a call. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So in closing, um, thank you all for listening. We appreciate it very much. If you would, please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to and uh, give us the five stars that we work so hard to try to achieve. Um, another thing I want to mention is um, – There are so many law enforcement jobs out there right now, vacant jobs, openings. It is a target-rich environment. So if you know anyone that is looking to get into police work, we highly recommend that you go to our website, gs-pcc.com, and take a look at our preparation guide uh, for law enforcement for the testing process. 
it, it it's the same. It's basically we took our curriculum that we teach at New England College and put it in a book. And it goes through everything from uh, how to fill out an application all the way to the background process. Right. So it covers everything in between the do's and don'ts, what you have to do and what you have to not do, more importantly. So um, uh, our, what we're finding at New England College, the students who go through our program, they are seeing an accelerated uh, growth of people who are getting jobs out of college. Yeah. It, it is helping them. And when they do their... Um, their uh, their end of basically their end of their program um, critiques, like if recap. you will, yeah, a recap. They always mention us and how much it helped them. So, right. very proud of that program. So, but if you can't uh, if you can't be a part of the in class uh, of the uh, workshop that we do, you can at least buy our book, and you can get that again at our website gs pccom uh, Really quick. Uh, Social media. We can be found on Twitter at GSPCC1, on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash GSPCC1. Instagram, we are instagram.com slash GSPCC. And we also put out a monthly newsletter. If you would like to sign up for that newsletter, all you have to do is go to our website, gs-pcc.com, and as soon as it loads up, you're going to get a pop-up in the bottom right-hand corner that asks you if you would like to sign up for our newsletter. It's that simple. All right. I'm pooped. This one wore me out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go home and take a nap. Good for you. <laughs> well, you know, it's. Uh, I know you go to sleep at, what, 8.30 now as a retiree? I think it's even earlier now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, please be safe out there and, uh, and be kind to everyone. And uh, in this this in this world of political tension, take a step back, listen to your your uh, your neighbors. They may have a different opinion, but we don't have to hate each other. Okay, all right. Peace out, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>